How many children of the 80s do we have in the room? Anybody? You grew up in the 80s. That was your jam. That was your thing. Uh, me and your senior pastor graduated from Fayette County High School in Fayetteville, Georgia in 1987. The 80s were a decade of big hair. Who had big hair, lady? Maybe in some guy's room. I don't know. But lady had big hair, cans of hairspray, the bigger the better. Right? Guys, how many of you rocked a mullet? Anybody? Rocked a mullet? Yeah? Hey. Right here. I was so, I mean, I went into the 90s. I went a little too far with it uh, and finally got freed from that. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I was just all the time. So yeah, it was not, not a good look for me. But um, yeah, the 1980s. Now, there was a song that came out in 1986 by a group called the Beastie Boys. All right. Now, some of you probably played the song in your car driving to school, some of you probably turned it up real loud, and some of you probably sang it like you were yelling at your parents. And the song really went like this. You got to fight for your right to what? Now, some of you are acting a little too excited. You're still singing it. Yeah, and so, yeah, that was, that, that was the cross. Kind of, in a way, it kind of symbolized like what? The 1980s culture, right? Of, man, I got needs, I got desires, and here's the deal. I want what I want. And I'll do anything to get it, even if I have to fight and scratch and argue to get it, I'm going to get it. And we see that in our culture today. In fact, 2,000 years ago, the early church was not immune to this kind of attitude. We've been walking through the book of James, and last week, Mike uh, finished up chapter 3 for us, and he talked about how to build great relationships. It's a tremendous message. If you didn't hear it, I do encourage you to go back. And listen to it. And he talked about how you need to sow some seeds of peace in your relationship and build those and all that kind of fun things. And then he said, okay, Steve, why don't you do chapter four? And so, thank you. Uh, because it's not about that. Um, it gets a little bit in our business here, James. And so, uh, wow. Uh, he shifts gears big time. James rolls up his sleeves. He starts to get to work. And he starts talking about all the conflict and infighting that was going on in the church and on their social media pages. I mean, well, if they had social media pages, it would have been ugly because it was just, I was just chaos. Was, it was just terrible, their relationships and, and all that was going on. And I've titled today's message Fight Club. And I've called it Fight Club because we've all visited this club at some point or another. All right? In fact, some of you visited that club as you drove to church this morning, right? You, hey, we were in the fight club this morning, right? I didn't. I drove by myself in this morning, so I didn't, I didn't do that. But <clears throat> some of you are Hall of Famers. You have a plaque in the fight, fight club Hall of Fame. The plaque you use on the wall. Others of you, you're occasional visitors, right? Please, no staring, no pointing, no nudging. Anybody that you came in with today, um, but I want you to think about this. Think about the person that you argue with the most. Again, no, no stairs. For the person you argue with the most, I think it will help you. Keep them in the forefront of your mind as we go through what James talks to us today about. I think it will be helpful. Now, some of you are further along in your Christian maturity than uh, others of us. And you say, I really don't argue, fight or argue or have those kinds of uh, intense conflicts with people, I might have some occasional intense discussions with people, but you know, I, I don't really do that. Well, hey, that's okay, just run with that, all right? Whoever that is that you have those discussions with, put those, 
folks in, in your mind, okay? Now, there's going to be others of you who are still trying to make up your mind who it is you argue with the most because you argue with everybody. It doesn't matter who it is. You're always looking to argue like, I don't know, there's so many. Well, those are bigger problems, and I don't know if we're going to tackle those today. But we will try to help with that. James chapter 4. Let's begin reading see what James gets right to it, all right? Here we go. James chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires or passions at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't even ask God for it. You don't even pray about it. And when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Now, he's talking about spiritual adultery, and they were Old Testament who, uh, Jews who knew what, when they saw that, they knew what that meant. They were the Jews of the day, the nation of Israel who would start chasing after other idols and other gods, and God would call them spiritual adulterers. And so he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And he, for emphasis, I say it again. And if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So what does he say to do? He says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow, deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to right where many of us are living even right now, Lord. I thank you that uh, you care about every relationship in our life and you care about where we are and you care about our hearts. And Lord, I pray this morning we have eyes to see what you have for us and ears to hear. And Lord, and a resolve to do what you show us to do today, Lord. So speak to us, help us to apply it, Lord, and I pray that you would bear fruit uh, from your word today in our lives for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, it was the 10th grade. I had a friend who played on the varsity basketball team named Kevin. And Kevin <clears throat> called me up one day and said, Hey, Steve, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are hosting a slam dunk competition for high schoolers down at the Omni, which is State Farm Arena is down there now. But it, it was the Omni where the Hawks played. And so, hey, won't you go with me? Let's go down there and, uh, and do that. Now, and he said this, he said, now I think for some of us who can't dunk on a 10 foot, you, they're going to lower it to 9 foot. So I'm like, okay, all oh, that sounds good, come on. Now here's the deal. I was 6'4", kind of like what I am now, 150, just awkward, uncoordinated. I would run in a gym and try to get up to, I could hit the net, right? I mean, that's, I had like a 10 inch vertical, right? I couldn't get up very, very high. Now, let's do the math. 6'4 plus 10 inches. It ain't getting up to 10. It ain't getting up to 9. I don't care if you put it down to 8. I ain't dunking the basketball, all right? But you know what? I was not deterred. I was all about it. I believed that day that I could fly, and I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to dunk some basketballs. It's going to be awesome. And so I said, hey, let me get with my dad and ask him if I can go. I'll get back to you. So I walk into the room. Dad, hey, uh, Kevin wants me to go down and uh, be in a uh, slam dunk competition for high school down the Omni. Now, he didn't laugh out loud. 
okay. But I'm sure inwardly he's like, dude, what, what, do you have a drug? Are you on drugs? Like, what is, what is going on with you? Are you serious? And so he gave me the word that every teenager does not want to hear from their parents. No. And I don't know what about that got me, I mean, it flew all over me. Like, I all of a sudden reacted like, and here's what I said. I said, you never let me what? Do anything. Now, I was very introverted in this day. I didn't really do a whole lot. I didn't get out a whole bunch, and so uh, probably because I didn't ask, but you don't let me do anything. You know, I was a pretty well-behaved kid. All those genes went to my brother, all right? All the party genes and getting in trouble and doing all that stuff. I was a well-mannered guy, well-behaved, but this one set me off. I don't know why, but I, like, I believed I could fly, and now you're crushing my dunking dreams and aspirations. They're just laying all over the floor. I stormed out, went to my room, you know, just, it was just a fit, right? Just right. Why in the world was I so mad? Why did I act that way? That's what James is going to talk to us about today. Look at it. First, James diagnosed the cause of their big fights, and they had big fights. He diagnosed it. Look at what he says. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? The word for quarrels that James uses here describes being in a state of war. It's the attitude that you're always looking for a fight. Ever met those folks? Ever bump into them? Ever been one of them? Again, no nudges, please. Um, yeah. If I asked you to come up on stage today, gave you a microphone and say, come up here and I want you to describe to me your last argument and give us all the details, please. We just really want to hear all the, all the details about that. Most of you would probably come up here and say, okay, well, here's the point went down. My boss, my children, my, my kids, well, my wife, my husband, right? And you'd say something like, do you have any idea what they did? They did this and they did that. I can't believe what they did. I was there just minding my own business, being awesome as usual. And they came in the room and they said this and did that and they got me so mad. They made me so upset. Have you ever wondered where do we get this notion that it's always somebody else's fault? I think we can thank our ancestors for that. You go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, and they played the blame game very well. They started it all, and Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and it didn't get them anywhere but kicked out of the garden. James knew that blaming others, it was a cop-out. It didn't work. You think you had it bad growing up with your siblings. James grew up with Jesus. They're screaming in the back bedroom going on. Something's happening in the back. Well, J uh, Joseph runs to the back, and he just immediately get, makes a beeline to James, and he gets James, starts wearing James out. No, no discussion. I mean, Jesus was perfect. We knew it wasn't Jesus doing anything wrong, right? It was always James, like, you know, and so James like, I can't blame. What am I going to blame? He, you know, it's never going to work. So you can't blame. And so he's like, no, that's not going to work. So what did James say was the reason for all the fighting and quarreling? Look what he says. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Uh-oh. Some of you think of James, James, you, you don't know what I got to put up with, man. I, I got to drive in Atlanta traffic. You don't know about all those dudes out on the road, all those people driving crazy. You don't know what I got to put up with. But James says the cause of the fights and the arguments and the quarreling and the state of war and always it is within us. 
The word for evil desires in this passage is the Greek word we get the word hedonism from. That's like there is just no stopping my urges and desires and I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to, to feed them and to find some kind of satisfaction to those and I'm just gonna give full vent to whatever that is. I'm doing it. That's what they had. And that was wrecking their relationships. So it's the desire to do whatever I want, whenever I want it. Nobody's the boss of me. Tell me what to do or who I am. And you tell you what, this, this attitude is prevalent, isn't it? I mean, it's just always creeping at our door, you know? Uh, it sneaks into our lives. I know I may not look it necessarily, but I do CrossFit from time to time. I, uh, I try at least once a week, go in maybe, maybe twice if I can get it worked out in my schedule. But I go to a gym, and uh, <clears throat> when you walk into the gym, in our gym, there's TVs on the wall. And it's the workout of the day. And there's always the version at the very top that says the RX version. Like, this is the one for those who are really all about it. And they, you know, I mean, they're just crazy. And so, all right, that's that version. And then down below that is the watered-down version for those who are not quite yet there on the journey. Okay. But then there's another version. And that's my version. Um, Because I'm usually walking in going, man back stiff, slept wrong, I don't know, it hurts, whatever, my back today, or man, my shoulders are sore, I don't know if I can do that, I'm going to change that, and so on this particular day, I walk in, and I see the workout on the board, and I, it was a uh-oh workout, like, um, I'm going to have to fix that one, because I don't know I'm going to be able to do that, so I'm talking with my coach about kind of what, how I'm going to make this thing work for me, and talking through it, and I'm giving my ideas to what I need to do to do that workout, and he said this to me. He said, hey, you do you, boo. Now, now he didn't say boo, but that's how I took it. Like, okay, I don't think he's really wanting to work with me here. I think he's kind of wanting to say, dude, you know, you can just do your own thing here, but, you, you know, you're not getting anywhere, right? So, uh, but that's how I took it. I had a, you're just here to serve my needs attitude, right? You're just here for me, you know? You just, whatever I want, I know you're going to help me to do that. Have you ever thought about this? What is the common denominator in every fight or argument or quarrel that you've had your entire life? It's you. Every single fight and every quarrel you experienced, you were present, all of them. There wasn't one you weren't there. You were in all of them. And guess what? Same is true for me. I was in all mine. I've thought of all the fights, and I'm going, was I there or not there? I was in there every time, right? Amy and I have been married 27 years. <clears throat> in the early years of our marriage, <clears throat> I heard somewhere, I got this, I don't know where I heard this, but I thought it was really good. And somebody said, I read it somewhere, it said, whoever apologizes first is the most spiritual person in the relationship. It's the most humble person. I was like, that's good. That is good. So, I'm, so what did I do? Every time we started having fight, arguments, I, I'm going to start doing that. So we have a fight or argument, and I'd be like, eat my pride and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, bad. that was my fault, I shouldn't have done that, and like, you know, okay. So as time went on, I started to feel pretty good about myself. Every time there's an argument, I'm sorry, I, I, I shouldn't have done that, you know. And, and I started to feel good about myself, and I started to feel good about all my humility and uh, and I begin to think, maybe I am the most spiritual person in this relationship, <laughs> you know, in, in this marriage. 
And maybe my, all, with all of my humility, eventually that'll begin to rub off on Amy and, and she'll apologize too. It didn't work. Um, it didn't work. Because one day I sensed God kind of telling me this. Hey, dummy. Now, he didn't say dummy, but I kind of felt that's kind of where I was with that. And so he said, hey, man, uh, maybe you're always first to say you're sorry because you're the only one that has something to apologize for. Hello. Um, truth hurts. Um, hmm. Here's what we think, but we don't say it out loud. We just think if all these people would get their act together and they'd all start acting like me, we'd all be awesome, right? That's what we think. It's always them, and if they could just get like me, and here's what James says. He boils it down to this. He says, guys, it's not a they problem. It's a you problem. James is just repeating what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, where Jesus said, whatever comes out of your heart, out of your life, is already in your heart. He said, the stuff we're seeing in your life, it's just because it's already there in your heart. When I bump up against somebody and I uh, say something rude or hurtful, um, then I say, I- I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Didn't mean to say that. The truth is, yes, I did. Yeah, I did. It was already in my heart, and I was just waiting for an opportunity for it to spill out, right? You ever bumped into somebody, and they were full, and it just spilled out? Something happened, whatever, and then all of a sudden, they explode, and you're like, well, this is not about that. Like, what is that about? It's because they were already full, right? The heart was already to the tipping point, and you just happened to be in the wrong place, wrong time. James keeps getting personal, verse 2. Here's the deal. You want what you don't have, so you scheme, and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it from them. James simply says this, the fights among us are caused by the battles within us. And let me boil down a little bit more. In other words, we don't get what we want. I want something, and I don't get it, and I get mad, and it leads to an argument. Doesn't that sound simple? So childish. Baby cries for a bottle. I want a bottle. I don't have it. It cries out. Now, when we get older, we, you know, our arguments just look a little bit more sophisticated, right? <clears throat> but it's the same deal. Now, you may be giving James a little bit of pushback here, right? I mean, come on, James. I got legitimate desires. Maybe someone has done a wrong to us, an injustice has happened, or somebody owes us something. Really, they do. Or uh, you want this for your marriage. You want this for your kids. But here's the deal. Can't even good, God-given desires like, you know, intimacy, marriage, or can't they turn into a problem real quick? And here's how it happens. Good desires, okay, those are good. Good desires can move to expectations that we put on people. I, expect, I desire this, now I expect you to do that. And then it, if it's not met, it'll move to what? Demands. Sometimes angry demands. Good desires, I desire this in this relationship, and now I'm expecting you to do your part, and then if you don't do it, guess what? I'm going to get ticked about it, and I'm going to demand that you give it, and it becomes this transaction. Instead of a loving relationship between the two, it becomes this thing, and if you don't, then it's, then it's an argument. One day, I was rushing home from the church, from uh, working, and, and I was headed home. Colton was getting, my 11-year-old was getting off the bus, and I needed to get home, <clears throat> And uh, in time, and so I was, in, I was like, oh, I got to grab a few things at Publix on the way in. So I zipped into Publix to go through and get my things, and I assessed the lines. And they're long. 
They're too long for me, gotta go. And so I do notice that there's a line that nobody's in, the express checkout lane. And it is a lane for 10 or fewer items. Many of you know this because you are a uh, item checker. You get in that lane and you look at everybody else's stuff and make sure, has everybody got 10 or less? Okay, all right, we're all good. Everything's gonna be good here today. And so some of you count, right? And so I had pre-counted and I'm like, okay, it's a few things more, that's all right. So I'll roll up to that register and the lady, she's just sitting there, just standing there, nothing to do, nobody in the line, nobody behind me, nobody for miles that I could see, but I'm like, okay, I'm gonna roll up. And I said, hey, and I'm about to start to take stuff out and put it on the conveyor belt, you know? And, and so I'm like, oh, and so I said, hey, is it okay if I just check out real quick? I think I got about 12 items or so. And she just stood there and she said, well, that's more than 10. <laughs> now, I was expecting the, the, the treatment of, you know, customer's always right, I'll work with you, I get it. And so... That was the end of the conversation. I got huffy. I didn't say anything, but I got my little cart, and I went, okay, and I just went over and got another line. Now, I had a desire, right? It was a legitimate desire, right? I'm in a hurry. got to get home. And I placed an expectation on her to meet my desire, and guess what? I could have moved real quickly to demand. I want to see your manager. Don't they treat you right? Don't train you guys right? Like, what are you, how are you treat? I don't get it. Like, whatever. And I could have made a big thing, right? Legitimate desires, expectation, demands. And it could have got ugly. Do you see how it gets away real quick? And that can happen to us. Happens to me a little bit too much. Um, James saw... They're infighting, and it was just wreaking havoc on their relationships. But here's what he also saw. He saw signs of a greater battle in their hearts. There was a greater battle going on inside their hearts. Look what James said. Yeah, you don't have what you want because you don't even ask God for it. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what gives you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again, if you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James is like a surgeon going in without the anesthesia. He's going in and it's hurting. And he's saying, you aren't even bothering God about your needs. And when you do, you're asking selfishly. James gets in their business and calls them spiritual adulterers and they got what that was about. He says, you're cheating on God. Instead of depending on God, you're falling in love with the world. Hello. They had forgotten God and they tried to get their needs met in the way they thought was best. They wanted control over what was happening down in here. Now, I wrote this uh, in the margin of my Bible next to this verse. I will never be satisfied in my heart until I find satisfaction in God. Think about Jesus and the woman at the well, and he meets this woman, this Samaritan lady, and she starts talking about the husbands that she's had and the, woman, the man who she's with, now living with, is not her husband, and they have this discussion about water and living water, and Jesus offers her, offers her water so she'll never have to thirst again. What was he saying? Not a physical thirst. He's talking about something deep down in her engine room that she was thirsting for of love and acceptance and all that and belonging that could only ultimately be found in God. God has set eternity in our hearts, and everything on this side of heaven is not gonna last. We're all continually longing for these things, Right? 
We want love, but guess what? It's not what we want it every day. Like, we can't get that satisfied over time, and eventually we gotta realize that only an eternal God can meet this need for us, for that we have in our hearts. There's a great battle going on, and we think we have the answers. Let me ask you, is God the greatest desire of your heart? Psalm 37.4 said this, and I love this verse, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You see, when our delight is right, our desires will be right. A lot of us, our delight is in the wrong places, and it doesn't meet our needs or our desires where is our delight? Not just on Sunday morning. So what's in God? What about on Wednesday afternoon? What about Friday night? Is God the greatest desire of our heart and life? So what's the solution? James goes right in. He urged them what? To surrender in their fight against God. You see, their biggest battle wasn't against their neighbor or their spouse or their kids. It wasn't against others. Their biggest battle was with God, and that's our biggest battle as well. Look what James is gonna say. He's gonna say, Guys, if you want to change this whole problem you got in the early church with your relationships, you got to change what's going on in here. And James says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Whew. That's a lot of stuff. Like, man, he just goes on and on and on and on. And what is he saying? Let me boil it down for you. James is saying this. If you missed everything else, this is it. This is the message. If you want to build healthy relationships in your life, if you want to root out those selfish, evil desires and passions that seem to ruin your relationships and lead you into all kinds of quarreling and fighting and arguing, if you want to fix that in your life, you got to get big time serious about your relationship with God. That's all there is to it. If you want horizontally things to change, you got to change things vertically. That's it. Because our heart's going to go in one direction. Without the Lord, it's going to go to me. And it's going to go to you. The Bible calls what James is talking about here, repentance. It is a military term. It's basically troops are marching in one direction, and let's say a drill sergeant says, halt, about face, march, and you start marching the other direction. What, what is he saying here? Guys, if you want to change you got to hear God speaking to your heart and God, the Spirit, saying stop the direction you're going. It's a sinful direction, it's a destructive uh, direction, and it's not going to lead you places you want to go. you got to stop, turn back to who? God, and start walking in his direction. It's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it leads to a change of action, and the Spirit-induced, you got to hear the Spirit speaking to your heart. And you say yes to him over and over. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. That is repentance. That is it. Okay? It's not just feeling sorry about something, but it is something that gets deep down in your, the engine room of your life, and God begins to work, and things begin to change from the inside out. I've been a follower of Jesus for 37 years, and here's what I've learned the hard way sometimes. It is impossible to chase after God and the flesh at the same time, or the world is impossible. Some of us say, man, I'm gonna chase God on Sundays, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna go to Bible study, but yet, hey, when I get in other situations, I'm gonna chase after those things, whatever I want, whatever I feel like I wanna do, makes me, you know, me happy, and it's all about me, and I'm gonna chase after both things and try to do both things, and you know what Jesus said? That's impossible. He said, you cannot serve two masters, you're gonna love the one, you're gonna grow to despise the other. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. I had an older brother 
when uh, my friends would come over, we'd play football in the backyard, and he was bigger than us, stronger than us, meaner than us. And, uh, but he'd get out there and play back in backyard ball with us, tackle ball, and he'd love just to pick us up and just throw us around like rag dolls. Like, oh, there went John, John, John's over there somewhere. Like, yikes. And so it was like a little bit of fear involved in this. And then there are times where he'd tackle us and just lay on top of us. And he'd just laugh. Thought it was so funny. And we'd be like writhing in pain. Oh, man, man, oh, <clears throat> And we'd have to say the code word. For him to finally relent. It was uncle. You've heard it. I don't know who's uncle and why. Some uncle had to do with it, and that made somebody happy to get. But uncle was the word, so we said uncle, and then he let us up. <clears throat> God has a code word. It's surrender. It's surrender. I think about Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob was a fraud. He was a trickster. He tricked his older brother out of getting his blessings from his father, and here's Jacob, God's wanting to use him, but man, he had some things he needed to get out of his life and quit doing things in his own terms. And so we read about where he wrestled with an angel all night long, angel of God, all night, wrestled. And they were tired, he was tired. By the end of the night, he finally let go when he said, I'm tired of wrestling, I want you to bless me. And then it stopped. Here's the deal. We can wrestle with God all day long, but let me tell you, you're not going to win, and I'm not going to win. But here's the deal. How do we stop? Code word. I surrender, and I'm going to go to you for all that I need, and I'm going to quit putting all this on other people. It's not a you problem. It's not a they problem. It's, it's a me problem. And I'm surrendering to you. I surrendered to the Lord at 17 years of age as a senior in high school, and I said yes to God, and I, was, I don't know what all this means, but I want you to control my life. I'm going to live under your direction. I don't know what it all means, but I did. And here's what I've learned. It's not a one-time deal, and it's all done. I want to keep getting control back in my hands. Read Romans 7. Uh, Paul, greatest Christian who ever lived, struggled with it, right? You got to keep surrendering every day. God, I'm going to want to make this about me today, but it's about you. Help me to not... Go down this path of strife and arguing and conflict. Let me trust in you. So as we close today, let me ask you, are you wrestling with God? Do you need to grow close to God? Do you need to get serious about your relationship with God? Where are you with your relationships right now? What condition are they in? What kind of wreckage and carnage is in the past because you're in the fight club? And that's how you do relationships. And you're learning, and it's not working. What does James tell us? We get what we, we don't get what we want. He said, you're not even asking God. So what's James telling us? Go to God. Go to God. Get your motives right. And he'll meet your need every time. In his way, in his power, and his strength, he will do it. Let's pray. This morning, some of you, you might need to humble yourselves. Your prayer might be this. Lord, I'm the problem. I want what I want, and I fight, and I quarrel to get what I want. Lord, help me to get right with those that I've hurt. Some of you need to get back close to God. You've strayed, and you've been doing life in your own strength, in your own way, and you've just become a verbal wrecking ball. Your prayer might be, God, I've neglected you in my daily life, and I want to meet with you. 
I, I want to get back to knowing you and prayer and your word. And I need that to root out my selfish, me first tendencies. And some of you today, you're trying to stay on the fence with God. You're trying to put one foot in, one foot out, and it's not working. <clears throat> he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, right? Are you ready to surrender fully to the Lord today? Your prayer might sound something like this. God, I've been on the fence about you for a while and I'm tired of fighting you. I don't have a they problem, I have a me problem and I wanna surrender my life to Jesus and trust what he did for me on the cross to forgive me my sins and make me right with you. I believe what Jesus did for me counts for me and I'm gonna trust in that and I'm gonna need you, Lord, to help me walk every day in your power and strength. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts today, Lord. We need it. I need this word. Don't necessarily want it, but I need it, Lord. And uh, thank you for how you're speaking to our hearts today. And uh, Lord, help us. Give us the courage, the strength, Lord, to, to change. And to not make it all about us, Lord. Change our hearts today. We pray this in your name. Amen.